Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are broadcasting today via remote access so that in light of the COVID-19 health emergency, we can maintain our social distancing and still bring you today's show. So please be patient if we experience any technical glitches. We hope that everyone listening is safe and healthy and doing what they can to protect themselves and our communities. Wealth Matters is presented to you by Gaswich Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz, and we're talking today about So You Want to Sell the Family Business, Planning, Priorities, and Potential Pitfalls. Now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Garrett Alton, President of the Southeast Region of Wilmington Trust, and Chip Kelleher, Managing Director and Senior Wealth Advisor for Wilmington Trust. And before we begin uh, the show, let me uh, get each of you to just uh, tell the audience a little bit about who you are. And uh, Garrett, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Adam. Uh, great to be here. Uh, 30 years in the business, with uh, in, the, in the wealth management business. Uh, almost all of that in the state of Georgia grew up here. So uh, kind of a lot of connect- connectivity and obviously a lot of experience working with clients of all sizes and shapes. Chip? Good morning, everyone. Uh, hope everyone's doing well. My name's Chip Keller. I've been in the business for about 10 years. Uh, second part of my professional career, I was a naval officer before this. And um, I've worked in New England as well as the Southeast. Before we get into the substance, tell us where you work, because I think our listeners would like to know where you work. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we work with Wilmington Trust. We uh, cover the Southeast. We work with families um, that have you know needs for investment management, wealth planning, fiduciary services, and private banking. All right. Well, let's let's talk about selling a, a family business because uh, it does seem to be a particularly good time to sell right now, and we've uh, we've seen a lot of good and bad efforts at doing so. So, um, just tell us what's going on in uh, in the world of, of selling family businesses and why it is a particularly good time to uh, consider doing that right now. Sure, Adam. There there is a lot of family business being sold and a lot of consideration. A couple of reasons that we're seeing for that are. Uh, one, there's, there's a lot of money out there right now looking to buy businesses and um, there's situations in families that uh, the kids have seen mom and dad, you know, work so hard and, and provide, you know, a great lifestyle for their family, uh, but they want to do something different. Maybe they want to become doctors or something like that. And so without a, a clear uh, transition to the next generation, maybe it's more appealing to to sell it off to someone else and right off into the sunset. Another situation that sometimes happens is the kids say, you know what, you know, I saw mom and dad start this business and they were out there and they were, they were selling and they were growing. But I realized in generation two, it's going to be more important to be more of a ruler than a conqueror. I'm more of an entrepreneur and that's not what I want to do. So maybe what we do is we sell this business and we start a new one. So there's a lot of different scenarios out there. Our our experience is that most families would like to keep the business in the family, that they sort of go to great lengths to either transition it down to uh, their their children, either some of them or all of them. Uh, But that that doesn't always work. And in our experience, sometimes that is a a disaster for the business. Uh, What what are you seeing in terms of uh, people's thought processes and whether to transition to the family or not? Well, I think it's really important before you do that, 
you know, to make sure that you've done a good evaluation, a deep evaluation of what is exactly you are handing off to the kids. And if you need to take some money out and have the kids recapitalize, well, have you done anything to keep the business up to date and competitive over the last 30 years? Or are you handing them a fixer upper uh, and they've got to borrow against it and, and it becomes the anchor that, that drowns them? Uh, is that what the kids wanted? That's another big factor. Uh, they might feel a responsibility, you know, the family names on the sign and they feel like that's what they're supposed to do. But is that really where their passion lies? And the other thing that gets a little tricky is what happens when there's multiple people in that next generation? Oh, Who that, is their parents? The problem. But that, that's where you hire Gasowitz Frankel, because that's where we get involved. Garrett, is there something, you know, Chip, you talked about the need to, to think about those things. How far in advance should you be thinking about these? Because most families, particularly of a certain generation, don't really, aren't really good about talking to their children, their adult children, about these types of things, particularly money. And it's, oh, usually good. Hard. it's usually hard for that first generation to let go. Usually they're, they're thinking about it way too late in the game. So, Garrett, what's the timing? How do you start that process or when should you start that process? Starting thinking of the creator, not necessarily the next generation or next purchaser. Well, yeah, I think the, that's, that's a great question. The answer is, you know, a, a joking answer is right now because <laughs> you need to get started as soon as you possibly can, especially if you're going to transition the business. That, that needs to happen years, if not decades, before you actually do it because they need to be working in the business, understand the business, you know, earn credibility with the employees as a, as a known operator that they've not just a, a child of the founder, but also, you know, talented in what they do. That, that's a huge misstep that a lot of people make is they bring in their children late to the game and they don't earn the credibility with the employees, with the customers, with their suppliers. And so they need to have credibility. And I think even more so, uh, Craig, is the, is the need to have a clear vision of what's going to happen with that business instilled with the family for you know from the beginning so there's no real question as to what's going to happen as we all know though especially in today's world there's a lot of the second generation that really don't show an interest especially if the family's very successful they may have you know other more kind of altruistic ambitions that really don't involve running the business and it's actually the, the biggest challenge is finding qualified family members to do that so, so maybe just deciding should i even give it to the family if not and maybe we need another alternative when you're, when you're looking at, should I give it to the family member, do you find that it's, I see a lot of different styles. One style, of course, is to do nothing and just hope and pray uh, and let it fall. But another style I see is sometimes letting or requiring or encouraging the next generation to go out and get experience, credibility somewhere else before coming in. And sometimes it's, it's get the experience and the business and the credibility. What do you see uh, Chip, what do you see out there as to as kind of a good model or or at least thought process for the model? Yeah, I think that, you know, first and foremost, you avoid hurting feelings when people know where the expectations are, where the lateral limits are. And so that goes into having good governance for the family business to begin with. If you do these things, this is what you can expect. If you do not, you should not expect these certain things. So, for instance, uh, we expect you to go to college. We expect you to get an MBA and be qualified so that when you're talking to the CFO, you're, you know what they're saying. Uh, just because you have the same last name, does that, that does not mean that you're going to take over the front office. Um, I think that 
next generation going out and getting experience is enormously helpful because they can see what another culture looks like, good, bad, take those lessons and bring those back. The last thing you want is generation after generation of group thing. So even if it's just, you know, summer internships and, you know, see what big corporate America's doing and then see what, you know, maybe a competitor's doing all good things to see what other industries are doing. So I think that- we've, we've seen a lot of families actually require that, that they're that knowing that the family is going to be part of the business. They, they make them go work elsewhere, see how other companies operate, get a, a sense of what uh, else is out there and, and come, come back with new ideas instead of just perpetuating the same ideas. The family assess. Um, I've got kids in their twenties. They of course are perfect in every way they resemble their mother, but it's hard sometimes as a young person to really have that vision and, and, and particularly of today's kids. Uh, so that how do they know they really want to go into business or that they were going to be suited for the business? They may have been great high school students, may have even been great college students, but they've really never been in the business. And, and parents' views of children politely is often wrong. Well, I think, you know, one thing that you got to consider is is we all think back to our first jobs. You don't know anything. You're confused. You got a ton to do and you're figuring out on the fly. The first job's miserable for the first year or so in most cases, just because you have no confidence in what you're doing. And, and so it takes a little bit of time. But I think the most important thing to teach our children, and this is just you know parenting 101, is you don't stumble into success, right? You've got to chart a path to success. You got to have some milestones as you go. And that's the same thing with the family business that, you know, Hey, you're going to start sweeping up the shop floor and you're going to work your way up and you're going to do the things that you don't like to do because someone has to do them and you need to appreciate that. Um, and I think that if you have that path once again uh, and you give them little wins along the way, that helps them, you know, build and understand what the business is and, and help form an opinion if it's someplace they want to spend a professional career. Do you see situations where the second generation is already actively involved in the business and it's that first generation that's not ready to move on? Uh, that happens all the time. And, you know, the second generation, you see it, and we all talk about millennials now, and, you know, technology's improved so much and in, in how younger generations operate versus older generations is different. They both have their merits, both have their, their flaws. I think that where you have you know, the winning strategy is open communication between the two generations. And I go back to the first generation needs to be that conqueror that's going out and growing the business. But that second generation, more than anything, has to take care of the customers that they, they already have, uh, as well as have a growth mindset. And that's a different skill set for sure. What happens in those situations where some family members work in the business and other family members go off and chart their own paths? They they uh, own an interest like everybody else in the family, but they've got no control over the business. And they're basically watching their siblings take over and run it. Sometimes with great resentment <laughs> um, and sometimes not. But it's, it's a real challenge for, for both sides. Uh, it really is. If you get situations where you know spouses are involved, whether working in the business or chiming in on it and, you know, we should get this. I think it goes back to, you know, continuously having a plan for the family. This is what the expectation is. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's third or fourth generation, maybe folks not working in the business are going to benefit from it. Uh, 
but they have to decide as a family, the folks working within the business are assuming more risk. Uh, are they going to be compensated differently? But I think the, you know, one thing I'd add to that too, I think we're all saying the same thing is communication, right? That's the, that's where we see the biggest failures in, in all these examples that you're bringing up, you know, Craig and Adam, of different types of ownership structure, who's involved and who's not. Having open communication, frank communication, uh, and, and often and early goes a long way to solving a lot of these problems and getting rid of and removing as much anxiety and tension as possible. But you're correct. You have owners or people have interests. They're not working the business. You have some that are working the business. There's resentment. A lot of times that you're benefiting from my hard work, you shouldn't get the same share as I have or the or conversely, well, mom and dad wouldn't let me in the business. They let you in. So they're getting, that can create its own tension and anxiety unintended. Uh, even though you think you might be doing the right thing as the patriarch or the matriarch of the family, uh, really communication just goes a tremendous way to having success you know, generation after generation. Uh, and even if you decide to sell, it's a it's a big, big part of the missteps that we see with families. Well, you, Gary, you told me before the show that I wasn't allowed to ask you a math question. So I'm going to get close. So, so. You know, we know communication is the best, but oftentimes the entrepreneur was so f focused on developing the business, they may not have the best communication skills with their children. So let's talk from the entrepreneur's perspective, the founder's perspective. What are some options that he or she can think about how they could structure it for their children? You know, maybe one kid's in, one's not. There are different places in their lives. What what things, what options should they think about that might be a, what they would perceive to be a fair division? Well, the, clearly, there's you know the, the easy one of the things we're seeing a lot of, a lot more than we used to in family-owned businesses is uh, selling. There's it's really been an amazing phenomenon during COVID, the global pandemic. A lot of families are thinking, you know, I just I'd rather just sell it. The price is right, and not have to deal with any of these challenges. So that's really a viable option is selling the business just to avoid the stress and challenges of all the things we've, we've discussed. Is uh, some of that selling it to a family member? You, they could, but then again, you run up the same issues that we discussed of resentment and anxiety and other tensions within the family. So we we've, we've seen much larger than normal number of selling outright versus transition over the last year or so. And Although I'd say it's increased dramatically. Yeah, we, we have seen situations that work well where instead of having all the kids own a share of the business, even though only some of them work in it, uh, arrange to sell the business to uh, one or more of the family members with the other family members getting some equivalent value. And as long as they have uh, discussed among themselves what that those values are, a lot of times, you know, the, the child who goes off to be, a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer uh, is happy to just get the, the value of the business and not have to worry about whether their brother is running it fairly or not. Is there is there some motivation now for selling because the tax environment is more attractive, a lower capital gain tax, or is that not part of the evaluation? Craig, that's a yeah, that's a great question. Is right now we are you know in a short window of relatively favorable tax treatment versus what's been proposed mm -hmm. to go into effect in the new year. So there's definitely a rush. If, if you weren't sure of what to do, a lot of people that's the tipping scale because it could be quite onerous to tax increase. Chip, what do you think? You know, I think that the tax implications are, are meaningful for sure. But uh, what our job is, is to present the owners and the families with their options and to advise them, you know, the, the pros and cons of each scenario. There's not one right answer or to just be a, a, 
you know, roadmap to what to do with the family business, but advising the clients what, you know, what's beneficial for them and where there, there might be some pain points and let them decide. And, you know, the tax situation being what it is, um, you know, the situations where family businesses hire too many people in the next generation with swollen salaries. And, and so then you go to, you know, hand it off to the third generation and you realize that this isn't going to work. We're, we've that's got a that's lot the of Saudi money. Arabia trough that the, the, the royal family has grown too big. Okay. So um, we just go back to, you know, let's take each situation, evaluate it, and present our clients with the options that they they have to well, choose from. Jim, that's something there is, I think, you know, we offer, it's called Emerald with us, which is a very advanced planning, kind of a SWAT team approach. But we can model out all the different options we've already discussed today. So buy, sell, hold, transition, not to transition, levered ESOPs, ESOPs, you know, selling outright, uh, doing a recap all these things that are part of the possibilities of funding, changing ownership, ownership structure, creating a transition plan. What will the impact be financially? But also like we're all talking about is what are the considerations around the family dynamics, family governance, which is the softer part of the equation and very hard to quantify. You're listening, you're listening, hang on a second. Yeah, you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with uh, Garrett Alton, president and of the Southeast region of Wilmington Trust and Chip Kelleher, managing director and senior wealth advisor of Wilmington Trust. Our topic today is, so you wanna sell the family business, priorities and potential pitfalls. So uh, let's talk about that uh, 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 a little bit further. Uh, you wanna sell the business, you decided that there's no viable um, method of transferring it to the next generation, at least one that will maintain peace in the family. So you decide you want to sell to uh, an outside buyer. If you make that decision today, you're not going to put the business on the market tomorrow. There are a lot of things you've got to do in advance to uh, to gain value. And a lot of that has to do with the way a business uh, is structured when, when you started it and you own it versus how a potential buyer will see it. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about you know what things you need to think about if you're going to consider selling outside. Well, Adam, I, I equate it to selling your home. Um, you know, we live in our houses. They're nice and clean and everything's where we want and family pictures are up. Uh, but when we go to sell it and we're going to have a showing, what do we do? We, we declutter it and take down the personal pictures. And what we're trying to do is basically... Behind me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what we're doing is we're trying to set up our house so that somebody else can imagine living there. And so for the business, what we're... Let me take that one step further, too, Chip, if you don't mind. Yeah. So now you put your house on the market, goes under contract, and your house gets inspected, and you find out, sometimes unnervingly so, everything that's wrong with your home that you think is in perfect condition, right? So it creates... It, that's, and I think Chip's analogy is perfect, is it's a really emotional process, and there's a lot of ups and downs. Even though you might be doing something you really want to do, it can, it can create a lot of stress unintentional like we talked about so do you, yeah, do you, need, you need an outside party to come and look at it? some some independent uh, set of eyes yeah yeah i think you do and i think that you know there's a couple different scenarios are are you selling this thing quickly because you had a, a difficult medical diagnosis or is this a thoughtful process that you know we've been running this in a way that works for us but it's it's kind of a lifestyle business we want to change this more, more into an enterprise business that we will get a, a higher selling price. And so to do that, you know, we've got to take a look at the things that we thought were great for us and, 
you know, what, what is evaluation looking like for us? What does our PL look like? Do we have the family members on with the inflated salaries and, and how can we increase our EBITDA? Uh, we want to bring in outside. Tell, tell, tell our audience what EBITDA is. Earnings before interest taxes and depreciation. And so we want to take a look at, um, you know, how profitable are we uh, in this business? Have we had relationships with clients that have just been the same and we haven't reevaluated in a long time? Or uh, are we growing the business and our client base in the way that we need to? And Chip, to add to that too, I think for the audience, you know, the number one determine the two things that determine the price that you're going to receive for your business financially are your revenues and your EBITDA. So as you're trying to or considering selling, you want to do your best to improve both of those things. So if you, you know, revenues are very difficult to grow quickly in a short period of time, unless you happen to be in a very hot business like global payments or something along those lines, uh, you know, technology driven. But for the rest of us running family owned businesses, you know, the, the revenues tend to be fairly stable and growing at a reasonable rate. And so the, the real multiplier is EBITDA. And to, and to increase your EBITDA, there's things that you need to do that Chip mentioned. Uh, you reduce your expenses, including your salaries, other expenses, you clean up the books. So what you're doing is creating a much higher multiple, which can literally be the difference between millions of dollars in additional funds on the sale of your business. So really important to engage you know, advisors, as, as, again, as far in advance as possible. But I would say at least a year to two before you're really you know, your target date, if you have one. So we can help you, your advisors can help you improve the financials as well as the ownership structure, all the different things that need to happen during a transition, which will greatly improve the, the sale price down the road. When, when you talk about, uh, I assume you're talking about cutting expenses, but but not just randomly cutting expenses. You're, you're basically uh, trying to make your business look like it is a, a, a an independently owned company, not a family run business where you've I won't say padded it, but you've got a lot of people on the payroll who maybe don't need to be there. You've got a lot of uh, uh, perks that are being paid for by the company that don't necessarily need to be there. That, would, that if eliminated, would all increase your bottom line. I, yeah, that's exactly right. I think we uh, we'll use an example where we helped a family-owned uh, business, private health business, uh, just a few months ago that, that, that sold. But prior to that, you know, helping, for example, the CEO, the president of the company, family, you know, leader, was had a million dollar a year salary. So several years ago, they cut that salary down to $150,000 a year and then you know, used equity as incentive to you know, pay and compensate the president. So it's not like they're not getting the same amount of money. It's a different way of getting that money, but much more efficient and therefore added hundreds of thousands of dollars to the EBITDA. So when the company sold for 20 times earnings, right, that EBITDA uh, really, or 20 times EBITDA, that was a much bigger number because the, the uh, because of the salary reduction, that's a very specific way, to your point, Adam, to reduce expenses but not uh, impact the business. So you want to continue to invest in the business and do what you need to, so it's healthy. But there are things you can do as a family owner that I think you might not be able to do, like you said, in a public institution or a publicly held company. And I, I do want to underscore something with 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 children. Oftentimes, the, the the first generation has spent a lot of time and money, and they're kind of reaping their rewards. And when children look at at it, they start off, well, gosh, I should get what the parent got. And that creates friction among the family and it may not work. So even if you're going to transition to family, understanding how to set it up with realistic expectations, as if it were an independent business that you're selling, may even be 
very appropriate, even if you're giving it to family members. Does the, um, does the internal structure of the company need to be looked at, or is that something that is not an issue based on, um, on, on how you might sell the business? And you can do an asset sale or a stock sale. There are a lot of other ways to, uh, to uh, transition a business, but is looking at the structure going to be important? Oh, absolutely. I think that you know, everything from uh, the personnel that you have on staff and what their responsibilities are, that goes back to you. Can somebody else imagine coming into this company and running the same way? A lot of times with family businesses, you've got, you know, maybe you've got co-presidents, siblings, and, and how's that going to work? And, you know, is that job description too much for one person to assume once the, the business is bought? Um, I think that, you know, as you look at the company structure, uh, a couple of different things is that, is it attractive from a, a tax standpoint? Do uh, we, we change the structure as we're looking at this process at the very beginning? And just to go back to the, the early point, before we transition to business, you know, we want to be thoughtful and we'll do our audits and, and do our, you know, own inspections, if you will, um, because the buyer's going to do it. And so if we can identify these problems on the front end and these opportunities on the front end and implement the change as possible, when the buyers come in, you know, just like the home inspector, they're always going to find something, but they're not going to find the big things. We've already taken care of that. Um, what, what, what happens after the sale? Assuming you've, you've done a successful sale. Do you, uh, do you work with your clients on, on how, how a life after business is going to look? You know, we get a lot of clients, uh, after they've sold their business and that's because a lot of their net worth is tied up in the business and not liquid. So they, they don't have much of a need for a wealth advisor in their mind beforehand. Uh, they sell the business. Uh, they, they pay the taxes, they pay everyone involved, any debt, so on and so forth, and they end up with, you know, some money. And they don't necessarily always have a plan of what to do with their life in the next next step. They might play six months of lousy golf and say, I hate this, and start their next venture. Um, they might say, you know, start a business with the kids, take the, the proceeds and say, you know what, I'm going to be number two to, to my children now. I want to be the, the, the wise old owl that, you know, can part my knowledge, but they're going to do the heavy lift. So there's a lot of different scenarios that we run across. Let me, let me turn the, the story around. So we've been talking a lot about what the owner can do to plan for transition. Um, what can the second generation do either to help their first generation along or decide what's appropriate and actually prepare themselves either to help run the business or to divide it up among children, spouses and all that, where they may not all agree, or if they're going to take over the business and not take over the business, how they sell it. I mean, what, what can the second generation or the buying generation do to help set up a successful transfer? You know, Craig, I think the, the most important thing that the next generation can do, and, and this is being a good business person, this is good being a good family member is, make themselves, put themselves in a position where they don't need this family business. They can go out and stand on their own two feet and go to another company and make a living. And, and there's not a you know, burden of responsibility that, geez, we got to make sure that, you know, the kids take over this, this company because they can't go do anything else. They don't know anything else. So I think that the burden of responsibility is on the individual to uh, make themselves a, knowledgeable industry professional. 
I think secondly, I communicate what they would like to see and have a conversation, not, you know, not dictate to the first generation, but, you know, mom, dad, you know, what point are you thinking of stepping away? What's your plans when you step away? I, I have an interest in maybe taking this over. Let's chart a, a path to that. And it just goes back to good communication. So uh, there's not a, a lingering responsibility from generation one to take care of generation two. And, and there's a clear path to how to achieve it. And at the end of the day, let's remember who created this. And, you know, let's take care of them first. That's, that's a big point, Chip. Like it is, you know, oftentimes you see, I know you all see this too, right? The second generation has a lot of angst because they can't fill mommy or daddy's shoes, right? Who built the company from nothing, built it into this you know, huge operation, very successful. And did all the sacrifices along the way. Correct. And there's, there's a little bit of jealousy or envy or something that happens with that second generation often where they kind of feel like they're not as good as their mother or father who did all those things. But you have to realize they, if, you, if we could help them understand is their responsibility, if they're going to take over, is to be a caretaker for, for the business that's created, but continue to grow it in a thoughtful and a meaningful way, which is almost honoring and respecting what their parents did for them before they got there. And that changes that dynamic from I'm never going to be as good as my mom or dad to you know my responsibility is not to start a business from scratch, but to you know protect what we built and grow that substantially during their lifetime. Uh, if you can get them comfortable with that type of methodology of thinking, they're, you know, the, the success of the family business can be unlimited. How does, how does that second generation, oftentimes the founders aren't necessarily thinking because no one wants to think about retirement and all of that. And oftentimes the second generation really doesn't have the access to the information. How do they start to get it without upsetting the first generation? Well, I think one way is you, you take it out being personal and you say, we're running a business here. So what's our one, three, five year plan for this business? And to get a clear picture of that, we're going to have to start you know, digging into these things. And just like any small business, you know, maybe you have things like uh, key person insurance. And so as you start down that path, you know, hey, you know, all of a sudden get hit by a bus tomorrow. What happens with this company? Um, and you start putting those plans in and then you back into, you know, are you going to, you going to work till the day you die? You're going to start taking some time off, stepping away. And that's how you start kind of formulating that transition plan and saying, well, let's see the data, you know, how do we make the numbers work? And I think that's an easier conversation, uh, piecemeal rather than, you know, open up the books, show me everything and, uh, let's put an expiration date on it. And I'd, and I'd, add, I'd add to that just real quick is the second you know, advice to the second generation. If, if you're if you're on this and listening to this podcast, is remember that your you know the mom and dad or both of them started that business. They started at ground zero, right? So if you're if you're going to work at the company, the family-owned business, don't be disappointed or insulted if they put you at the level you know, entry-level job and work your way up through that. That's not disrespect. That's what they did, right? They started, they were the entry level job, right? They started that. And so the way they look at it, it's not punishment to you in the second generation. So you have the opportunity to learn the business from the ground up just like they did. And if you come in with that type of approach, I think the second generation will feel uh, and understand that value much more clearly than taking it as a personal insult is I have an MBA. I'm extremely well-educated. Why do I need to start at the, you know, 
driving the delivery truck. Well, that's and, and perhaps better educated than their parents. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. But to that point, at year three, you can't be expected to perform as well as your parents that are in year thirty of experience. Exactly right. Uh, what you know, it's the two buckets, right? At, at year three, you've got all this energy and, and no experience, and at year thirty, probably the bucket with energy might be a little bit lower, but you got all this experience and you're working smarter, not harder. Yeah, one, one way to get uh, some of the transparency without having to get it directly uh, from your parents, if you're second generation, is is when you start to bring in some of these um, advisors that are talking to you about uh, helping plan for the future of the company, whether it's a transition to the next generation or, or getting it ready to sell. So uh, what, what types of advisors do you think most uh, people in this situation need to have? It's, the lawyers are not the first people online. It's usually other types of advisors. Litigators aren't the first ones, Adam. But, but litigators, um, yeah. If you if you got to call us, it's a bigger problem. Well, you know, I think that. Uh, to, to, to show sure. that so one thing I have to say is going back to experience and what we see is, as companies grow, you know, they tend to have the owners, founders tend to have their trusted advisors that they've had since the infancy of the company. And a lot of times, those advisors, while while they're trusted advisors to the family, they may not have a lot of experience in transitioning and managing large successful businesses so no insult to those people but i think the first thing you have to look at is do the advisors we currently have have the experience and and in you know, multiple experiences transitioning businesses of this size and scale and in industry and i and think, I think that's you have to add one other thing for that uh, that trusted advisor they're an insider and they may be great at many things but there's one thing we know they're great at they're great at stability and staying which means it's sometimes hard to tell the owner the difficult thing. Uh, an outsider, even if you don't trust them, can at least say the hard thing. Well, I, I, I absolutely agree, Craig. And I think you know, at the basic level, right, you're going to want, if you're going to transition, a, you know, an outside tax advisor, CPA, outside legal counsel. That's out, you know, even though you can have your trusted advisor as part of that process, somebody experienced in transactions, right? Uh, you're going to want uh, investment bankers or, and or a firm like ours that's going to help you vet those investment bankers where you can kind of make the best decision through our experience of working with multiple families. And then, of course, you're going to want a wealth advisor as well, which Chip mentioned earlier. That's oftentimes an afterthought after the transaction, but so critically important for uh, tax minimization, transfer of wealth, uh, protecting that wealth. And, and you need to do that several years in advance to avoid uh, limitations, you know, the statute of limitations on when you can do things to minimize taxations. Taxations of optimal time is two to three years at least in advance. Chip, would you add to that? Absolutely. I think that one of the other things is going to be a lot of people come out of the woodwork to, to help you. <laughs> and uh, you want to make sure that their interests are aligned with you. You know, we do have a lot of different advisors in our lives. We've got our spiritual advisors. We've got our doctors. And um, you're not going to Hire, have your spiritual advisor help you with your medical condition. And so having the right folks for the right job is very important. Your accountant might be great. Your attorney might be great. But we don't want our commercial real estate closing attorney helping us with our transition plan. It's yep. not in their wheelhouse. Yeah, our, our experience with a lot of this is um, particularly with uh, first-generation entrepreneurs. They're, they're still working with the, the uh, attorney that was able to form their, their corporation or they're working with the accountant who is okay doing their individual tax returns, but is not really sophisticated enough to sort of go with the business where it is headed. 
and sometimes that that transition is as difficult as uh, as prying the first generation out of their uh, position in the first place. Garrett, I want to go back as we're nearing the end of the show. You had mentioned ways to finance a sale, and you said ESOP and recap and all of those. Could you say I'm a little slower? So we can kind of think about ways, because I think oftentimes, particularly within a family, how to monetize, particularly the non-buyers or the need to invest in the company is a challenge. And that's something that most of the founders really haven't done in a long time. So can you kind of give us a a, an under, a, a list of the things that the, the options that are out there? Well, absolutely. There are, apologies for using such. Uh, our no, you're just too smart, and I'm I'm trying to slow you down so I can understand it. <laughs> I, I doubt that's the case, Greg, but appreciate it. The uh, you know employee stock ownership plans or ESOPs are a very common theme uh, for transitioning businesses, and that's realistically a way to sell your business to your employees and have an income stream for a number of years, almost a period certain. Uh, and then at some point, they end up the employees and, and family members, if that's the case, end up owning the company. Uh, there's a lot I mean, of rules huge, that go around. Huge that. tax advantages, right? There's huge, huge tax advantages to it. Yes. Well, you're able to sell your company to the employees and defer taxation of the that sale indefinitely. So when you sell a company, right, the the what you get paid net is adjusted to your cost basis in the company. If it's a family-owned business. There's very little cost basis, maybe even zero. And so the whole amount can be taxable to you. If you do it through an ESOP transaction, you're paying those capital gains as your portfolio of of assets change over a very long period. So it tends to defer taxation indefinitely into the future. What are some other options for bringing money back into the business, either for the owners or for the, the, to, to capitalize the business to continue going? So, and I mentioned a recap, which is called a recapitalization which is where an outside investor, usually private equity, or maybe even a competitor, uh, invest in your business where you still have controlling interest. They may have controlling interest, but you still maintain a large percentage of ownership. And with that, obviously there's cash paid out to the shareholders, which is generally the founders and maybe the, the family if it's uh, spread to the multiple generations. Uh, but then, so you, you get a cash out payment basically for some of your equity in your business but also you're able to continue and oftentimes continue to run the business. In addition, you get the expertise and resources of the private equity group who are now an investor in your company to help you grow that business further. Many times work with other companies that they own. So we call that a strategic investor or buyer where they're investing in that business because they're interested or have other businesses that are aligned, which can create synergies and other opportunities. So a recapitalization is a way to stay involved they also participate in that future growth that oftentimes happens with new capital in the company and new advisors and new uh, and new advice from you know experienced people and they're connecting with other businesses. And then of course there's the traditional outright sale uh, to you, where you sell to another company or private equity fund. Those transactions typically in today's world are cash. You know, in the in the days of old, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I started the business, and and it was mainly through stock where you were given stock, your cost basis transfers to that new stock that you're receiving in the new company uh, that's, that's buying your business. So again, that defers some taxation, but the problem is you're now tied to the performance of that company and you have kind of a connection ongoing to the business. So a lot of families are opting to sell out for cash, which lets them kind of wash their hands of the business. Uh, typically when you do sell though, 
the new company wants you to stay on board for some period of time to help with the transition and run the business intermediate until they can completely take over. Um, as we near the end, <laughs> you said you want to add, Chip? No, no, I thought you did a great job and covered most aspects. Okay. Um, well, before before we wrap up, uh, let me, uh, if you guys have any quick success story you'd like to share with our uh, listeners, um, I'd welcome either of you to do that. Um, anything, any, any, any company you say from disaster recently? Right, right. So, uh, we're working with a company or a family, I would say, that had a, a three-generation business. And, um, you know, it's a scenario where uh, the founder handed it off to the son and the son-in-law, uh, and they maintained the business. And the third generation came in, and, and they grew the business in a really meaningful way. Um, the son that became CEO, he graduated number one from his business school class, but there were a lot of cousins and uh, things like that on the payroll. And so as the CEO was considering, um, you know, bringing his own children into the business and evaluating, you know, can this company survive and thrive going forward? We talked over the course of about two years and whether or not it was time to maybe sell and start something separate with his kids. Uh, there was an expectation in the family by this third and fourth generation that There'd be a job waiting for everyone with these inflated salaries. And so ultimately the decision was, you know, we've got to sell this thing. And said to me, you know, how do we start this process? And luckily had the resources, the investment bankers and so forth in-house to come into the situation and help set up, you know, what I'll call a beauty pageant of, you know, we're going to sell this company and, and how do we do it? And the folks coming to us, they're buying and selling companies every day to the same people. So I'm not their number one priority. I've got one business to sell. How do I know the valuation is right? Or is this person trying to get a quick sale? And so we were able to walk uh, with them through that process. One of the things that did come with it is uh, this guy was such a good CEO that brought so much value to the company that when they sold to private equity, they said, we need you to come with us for a number of years. Yeah. So, he had to leave some equity in the company and his other family members that arguably were not making the same contributions to the success had all their cash up front and they're sitting on the beach and he went back to work. <laughs> so, you know, we talked about, well, what's next for you? This was a young guy, 45 years old. You know, are you ready to go sit on the beach? No. Well, you do a good job now for this private equity company. Uh, you know, they're going to say, we want you to step in to be CEO of this other company that we just acquired. And that's a whole nother option for a career path. For you. So um, that's a great example of how we work with the family, how we help them uh, transition to business. All right. All right. Uh, so as we wrap up, let me uh, get each of you to tell our listeners how they can contact uh, you if they need to. Uh, and uh, Garrett, you want to start with you? 404-760-2130. All right. I assume that's your office number? Or is that that's my office number. All right. And Chip? And I'm going to give you my email address. All right. Kelleher at wilmingtontrust.com. That's C-K-E-L-L-E-H-E-R at wilmingtontrust.com. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening today and thank our guests 
for listening to, uh, for participating in Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at a state dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Garrett Alton and Chip Keller with uh, Wilmington Trust. So please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.